the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Think of all the many times in the Bible, and perhaps even in your own life, when God's glory and splendor was most on display. I think you would agree with me that it's when he showed himself strong on behalf of his people because they were facing some difficulty, crisis, or impossible situation. How else can we really see the glory and splendor of God but that we go through from time to time difficulties where his glory and splendor then is revealed? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. It's all too often that we as believers go through a cyclical pattern when it comes to our reliance upon God and our awareness of His presence. When things are going good, we're often complacent in our faith. But once we're in a tough spot, we rely on God as we should. In today's message, Pastor Gary reflects on the faithfulness of God towards his own, even when we're apathetic towards him. In his study, you'll learn how God often reveals himself most when it's in our most desperate of times. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, as he continues his message, Out of the Desert. During those six years that Mrs. Cowan was her husband's caretaker, she just pressed into the Lord even more. And she, through her life experiences and her heartache of watching her husband suffer and then eventually die, and also to record the fellowship, the sweet fellowship she had with the Lord through that very difficult time, she wrote a book of daily devotionals that was first published in 1925 called Streams in the Desert. It's still published today. More than 90 years... This book, 366 Daily Devotional Readings, first published by Mrs. Letty Cowman in 1925, still in publication today. Birthed out of her own personal desperate desert experience, watching her husband die, taking care of him in the last six years of his life. But she wrote of the tender and wonderful ways that God ministered to her like streams in a desert. And this book of daily devotionals, she said, was inspired by reading right here in Isaiah 35, verse 6. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams 
in the desert. Here's a sampling of some of the things that Letty Kalman wrote in her devotional book, Streams in the Desert. Quote, Never look ahead to the changes and challenges of this life in fear. Instead, as they arise, look at them with the full assurance that God, whose you are, will deliver you out of them. Hasn't he kept you safe up to now? So hold his loving hand tightly, and he will lead you safely through all things. And when you cannot stand, he will carry you in his arms. She also wrote this, quote, Christians with the most spiritual depth are generally those who have been taken through the most intense and deeply anguishing fires of the soul. If you have been praying to know more of Christ, do not be surprised if he leads you through the desert or through a furnace of pain. She also said this, Trust God's word and his power more than you trust your own feelings and experiences. Remember, your rock is Christ, and it is the sea that ebbs and flows with the tides, not him. She also wrote, Jesus Christ is not my security against the storms of life, but he is my perfect security in the storms. He has never promised me an easy passage, only a safe landing, end quote. I'm going to refer to some other things that she wrote. This is a wonderful devotional book. If you don't have it, you should consider getting it. But first, in our Bible study here from Isaiah 35, I want to share with you four things that God brings out of the desert. Out of our own desert experiences, there are four things that Isaiah writes about here that come as a result of our going through the desert. Verses 1 and 2. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He says, The desert and the parched land will be glad... The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, and they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Note that. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. The first thing out of the desert come God's glory and splendor. Think of all the many times in the Bible, and perhaps even in your own life, when God's glory and splendor was most on display. I think you would agree with me that it's when he showed himself strong on behalf of his people because they were facing some difficulty, crisis, or impossible situation. How else can we really see the glory and splendor of God, but that we go through from time to time difficulties where his glory and splendor then is revealed. Think of different examples in the Bible. Think of the Israelites when they left slavery after 400 years in Egypt. God miraculously delivers them, and then they get stuck at the border of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind and brings the army of Egypt against them, and now they're stuck with great fear, but trapped between the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's pursuing Egyptian army on the other. And this is when God spoke through Moses saying, if you people just stand still, you're going to see the mighty hand of God. And God did rescue them, and God parted the Red Sea, and God took care of the pursuit of the Egyptian army. But it was in this moment of despair and fear that God showed himself strong. And if they hadn't gotten in that situation, which obviously God allowed providentially, they would never have seen then the display of God's power. Sometimes the difficulties that we go through are an opportunity for God to display his goodness and his power and his glory and his splendor. Think about Hannah in the Bible. 
Here's Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel, unable to conceive. She couldn't have kids. It was the cry of her heart. She would go into the temple of the Lord, 1 Samuel 1.11, and she had one simple prayer. Look upon your servant's misery and remember me. And she'd pray that over and over and over again. Finally, it says in 1 Samuel 1.20, so in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. But it wasn't immediate. It was in the course of time. There were long, many years of agony just waiting and waiting and waiting. Why is it sometimes that God delays? So that His glory and splendor can be displayed. Sometimes God is not immediate in the way that He responds to us. Because in the waiting, in the delay, there is the opportunity for the display of His glory and of His splendor. In the New Testament, there was a man born blind, sitting in Jerusalem, begging. Jesus' own disciples looked at this guy begging and said to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, in those days, they believed this false doctrine of the law of retribution, that every ailment and every problem you have in your life must be due to sin, either yours, your parents, or somebody's. And Jesus responds and corrects them in John chapter 9. He said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but this happened that the power of God might be displayed in his life. Now, he was an adult man, and he'd been blind all his life. He'd gone many, many years blind until this one moment then that Jesus heals him, makes a little mud and spit together, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and then he can see and his eyes are open. But all those years he was waiting and begging and seeking God. But if he hadn't experienced the waiting, the blindness, how would he have ever seen the glory and the splendor of God? Even Paul, the Apostle Paul in his own life, went through something that is unnamed in the Bible, some condition that he just simply describes as my thorn in the flesh. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12 that he prayed to God three times, take this away from me, take it away from me, whatever the condition was. And God responded by not taking it away, but by saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want, but he reveals his glory in the fact that he's a keeping God. And God said to Paul, this may not go away, but... I will never go away either, and I will keep you through it, and I will sustain you through this. And when Paul realized that, then he responded there in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul realized, okay, this may not go away, but God's going to reveal his glory and splendor in my situation, in my desert experience, because he's a keeping God who will sustain me. And all these examples and many more in the Bible, these people would never have seen the glory and splendor of God if they hadn't been in a difficult or impossible situation. And the same is true for you and me. We can't really experience the full extent of God's glory and splendor without trials and tribulations in life. That's one thing that comes out of the desert. Number two, we see here in Isaiah 53, out of the desert comes God's strength. Look at verses 3 through 6. In verse 3, he says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, 
Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Now, I want you to notice in my Bibles, I just started to underline all the different parts of the body that are mentioned here in these verses. In verse 3, we have hands and knees. In verse 4, we have hearts. In verse 5, we have eyes and ears. And in verse 6, we have tongues. So we have hands, knees, hearts, eyes, ears, and tongue. This is like the divine equivalent of that nursery rhyme about head and shoulders, knees, and toes. That's what we're singing here in Isaiah 35. Well, in other words, it's God's way of saying that I will strengthen every part of you, every part of you, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Letty Kalman, in her book, Streams in the Desert, would write this. She said, quote, God knows that you can withstand your trial or else he would not have given it to you. His trust in you explains the trials of your life, no matter how severe they may be. God knows your strength and he measures it to the last inch. Remember, no trial has ever been given to anyone that was greater than that person's strength through God to endure it, end quote. Out of the desert comes God's strength. He will uphold us with his righteous right hand. He will never fail us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. When you feel like you are at your absolute end of the rope, God is there stronger still, holding us. Number three, out of the desert comes God's refreshing. If you'll notice verses six and seven, the latter part of verse six says, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert the burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. Now again, in your Bibles, highlight or underline all those different words used to describe the same thing. Water, and then also in verse 6, streams. In verse 7, pool and springs. So you have all this reference here to, to liquid, to water, water, streams, pool, springs. And water, we all know this, is a matter of survival. We all need water to survive. In fact, depending on the conditions, scientists, doctors say that a person can't go more than a few days or at most one week without water. It is a matter of survival. But water is also something that soothes, isn't it? Water is, has a very soothing element to it. You know, like a, an outdoor water fountain or a lake or, or a pond, or just the sound of the ocean. How many of you love water? You just love the soothing, just love water. I'm married to a woman who, she loves water. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this girl, at any, a pool, a stream, a river, a lake, the ocean, any, she just loves anything water, anything water. So about 10 days ago, we, we were up in Michigan uh, visiting with uh, Dr. Emerson and Sarah Egrich. Remember, they came here in November and led the Love and Respect Conference, and Emerson wrote the book Love and Respect, and, uh, and, and Terry and I just connected with them real well, and so they invited us up to their place in Michigan for a few days this summer, said, hey, why don't you come spend a few days? So we went. It was the first time we've been to their home, and it's a, a beautiful home, and they, and they live on a lake in, just outside of Grand Rapids in Michigan, and and we didn't know that. And as soon as we get there, Terry sees the lake. And she says, oh, 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 a lake. 
I mean, we, we dropped our suitcases. We never even made it into the house. She went straight down to the lake. She's like, oh, a lake. Oh, a house and a lake. Oh, and then she looked at me. She said, why couldn't you write a book? <laughs> wow. The respect portion of love and respect just went away. So she's, she's loving the lake, and she's, and she's swimming, and she's splashing, and, and, she's, and then she swam. She goes, I'm going to swim to the other side of the lake. It's like two, three football fields in, in, in width, and she, sw- she swam the whole way, just loving it, and, and, I'm, and I'm, on the, I'm on the bank of the, of the lake going, are you okay? Because I can't swim across a bathtub, you know, and so I'm just like, are you okay? She goes, I'm fine. I'm just loving this. So she swam all the way there and then swam all the way back. No problem. She gets out of the lake and she, gets, she looks at me and she goes, this was the best day of my life. <laughs> Hello? How about when you married me? No? I'm going to write a book. I lost her to a lake. That's the name of the book. <laughs> That's just the way she is. And once in a while, she'll say to me, like, I just, I need water, I need water, I need water. So one time we were down uh, by in the Shenandoah River over at uh, Watermelon Park. If you ever go down to Watermelon Park, you can get into the Shenandoah River. We're, we're down, in, and, I'm, and I'm looking around, and it's not like the cleanest looking thing, you know, because I see like wrapped up used diapers. I'm like, this is not... No reflection on Watermelon Park, by the way. Where's the camera? I love you, Watermelon Park. Anyway, it was a little nasty. And so she's like, yeah, we got to go. Let's go wade in. And so we're going in, and we're in the water, and we're up to, you know, like our waist, and, and just, just to get water, okay? This guy comes by in a, in, a, in a bass boat, and he's been fishing. And so I yell at him. I said, hey, you caught anything? Just having a conversation. He said, yeah, I got my quota. I said, your quota? He goes, yeah, you know, there was a, like a, a chemical spill years ago upstream. And you aren't allowed to take more than like two fish out of it every month. You know that, right? Like we're like swimming in chemical waste. So I didn't know that. Thank you, sir. I mean, but this is her. She's like, it doesn't matter. It's water. It's wonderful. Now I've got like six toes on one foot. It's ridiculous. So water is a necessity. We know it. We need it for survival. But there's something also very soothing about water. Very soothing about water. And every time here in this passage, Isaiah writes here about water, streams, pool, and springs. Notice what it's up against. Every single time he uses a different word, it also has to do with something that is desperately needing it, like the wilderness. Water will gush forth in the wilderness. Streams in the desert. Burning sand will become a pool. Thirsty ground, a bubbling spring. Because that's the good thing of our Father, that out of dry and arid places, God will bring times of refreshing to sustain and soothe us. God knows how to do that for us, like nothing and no one else can. Number four, out of the desert come joy and gladness to replace sorrow and sighing. Look at the way that this chapter ends in verse 10 where he says, And the ransomed of the Lord will return, and they will enter Zion with singing, an everlasting joy, not temporary, but everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. 
I looked up that Hebrew word where it says overtake them, gladness and joy will overtake them. It's actually a military term. It's the idea that God will hunt us down with his gladness and joy. I don't know about you, but I just love that thought of just being overtaken. Like it surprises me, like I'm walking down a road like, wow, joy and gladness, wow. It just kind of overtakes you. Like, like it's just God just, just jumping all over you with gladness and joy and replacing sorrow and sighing. Now, now notice, he mentioned sorrow and sighing here. Because life is, as a Christian, and in general, but even as a Christian, it's not about the absence of sorrow and sighing. Okay, it's not the denial of sorrow and sighing, like it's not there. The very nature of the desert means that there will be sorrow and sighing, but that God in His mercy will eventually bring joy and gladness where there is sorrow and sighing. God will eventually do that. You know, I I have to admit, in 30 years of ministry, I've heard a lot of stories about difficulties and hardships and heartaches and sorrow that a lot of people have gone through, and I don't pretend to walk in their shoes. In many ways, I'm grateful for the ways that the Lord has spared me up to this point of some of the tragedies and heartaches that some of you have gone through. And the truth is, after visiting with enough of you have been through some of the deepest, darkest things, I think it is true that a person's life is forever changed when some unexpected tragedy strikes. But God will help you to laugh again, and God will help you to live again, and God will help you to love again. And there are times that you just have to hold on for dear life to the promises of God. Letty Cowman, in her book, Streams in the Desert, said, quote, joy sometimes needs pain to give it birth. Joy sometimes needs pain to give it birth. Isaiah 35 is about how God inserts himself into the devastation of our lives and says, I will restore you you will recover, and there will be rejoicing again in your life. I'm going to end by reading a poem that Letty Kalman wrote in Streams in the Desert. Listen to it. Let it minister to you. It is easy to love him when the blue is in the sky, when summer winds are blowing and we smell the roses nigh. There is little effort needed to obey his precious will when it leads through flower-decked valley or over sun-kissed hill. It is when the rain is falling or the mist hangs in the air, when the road is dark and rugged and the wind no longer fair, when the rosy dawn has settled in a shadow land of gray that we find it hard to trust him and are slower to obey. It is easy to trust him when the singing birds have come and their canticles are echoed in our heart and in our home. But tis when we miss the music and the days are dull and drear that we need a faith triumphant over every doubt and fear. And our blessed Lord will give it. What we lack, he will supply. Let us ask in faith believing on his promises rely. 
He will ever be our leader, whether smooth or rough the way, and will prove himself sufficient for the needs of every day. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah here on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word. But we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners. So please give us a call if you have a moment and tell us how you've been impacted by this ministry. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings as he's been working his way through the Bible, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our entire archive is available there, along with companion study resources. Just look under the Teachings tab. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you happen to be. There's a link to that under the Teaching tab. Or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's study of Isaiah. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection.